From the EPR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples, and I'm here with the Clemson preview this week. This is my second Clemson preview of the year. Those of you who uh, have listened to this show for a long time know that I also cover UNC and uh, do a lot of uh, X's and O's analysis for Inside Carolina through uh, the 24-7 network. And uh, so I did not only a podcast preview of UNC for for Inside Carolina, but I was also on, we, we at Inside Carolina have a radio show that we do. Uh, the pre, we have one of the pregame radio shows for uh, UNC, uh, UNC football. And so I was part of that. And so I've done a lot of Clemson previews so far. So, uh, and I, I had a chance to watch them live from the box at, uh, at UNC and also managed to actually, believe it or not, this is really rare, uh, but I, I, I managed to pull some strings a little bit and, and get some access to, uh, the first half of the uh, Clemson UNC uh, All 22 to take a look at a little bit more, and I missed a lot when I was sitting in the uh, in in the booth. But I wanted to take a closer look at what Clemson did uh, or what uh, what North Carolina did defensively against Clemson because uh, that's that's really where they did some uh, really impressive stuff. And so I've had a chance to uh, to see quite a bit of Clemson so far uh, and, and to have a good sense for what, uh, what they're doing and where their, uh, where their weaknesses are, where their strengths are. And they've got a lot more strengths and weaknesses, but we're going to go ahead and, uh, and go through this from that point. Now, first and foremost, I want to thank EPR creations for their sponsorship of the show. Remember EPR creations partners with small businesses for website development, online strategy planning. They're the ones that, Help me launch showthesafeties.com, which if, uh, you know, they actually, if, if the TV networks actually did what we're doing, what we're asking for in the petition of showthesafeties.com, then uh, I wouldn't need to try to pull some strings to get a little bit of access to UNC film on occasion. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see. But anyway, EPR Creations, if you have any sort of, uh, any sort of, Internet need, they're the people to talk to. Best in the business. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So Clemson, first and foremost, this is a 27-point spread, which is insane to think about Florida State being a 27-point underdog to anybody, but that's where the program is right now. Uh, and Clemson is the best on both sides of the ball that anybody of anybody that Florida State has seen. They're the best defense and the best offense that Florida State has seen. Special teams wise, they they've got some. They're not as strong kicking wise. Uh, won't really spend any more time on special teams than that. But kicking wise, uh, if you make them kick a few mid mid range field goals, then you you feel pretty good about that. That they're not going to hit all of them. So, and uh, you know, in the kicking game in general, they're not as as strong as uh, as what you would potentially expect from an elite program. But uh, or maybe you would if you're if you've been watching Alabama in recent years and watch the difficulty of Alabama in terms of finding good kickers, watching the struggles of Florida State in the 90s, finding good kickers. I don't, I don't know if there's some sort of football god curse there that if you're you know, elite in every other area, then you have to have problems with the kicker. But anyway, uh, Clemson is not as strong there as, they, as, as, as ideal. But uh, we'll go ahead and start on the Clemson defense because I think this is where things are probably most interesting in this game. 
And that's because Clemson is, even though the numbers suggest that they're better than they were last year, I mean, the numbers are actually stronger with this group than they were last year, but they're not as good as they were last year. They're just not. Uh, I, I, I said this going into the UNC game, and then that was borne out even more uh, watching them live in the box. Uh, they, they just, they're not, as, they are not the, the group that you saw last year. I mean, even when they come out on the field last year, you looked at that defensive line, you looked at that overall defense and you went, that, that, that's just a bunch of NFL guys this year. That's just not the case. And it starts up front. They are not nearly as good in the defensive line as they were last year. And that's not surprising. I mean, they had Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, and then two defensive ends that went to the NFL as well. When you send all four guys to the NFL, you're not going to be as good. And last year, I said it last year going into the game, that was the best defensive line that I have seen probably since 1997 or 1996 at Florida State. You're talking about the, the, the defensive line with Peter Bulware, Andre Wadsworth, Renard Wilson, you know, all of those guys. That's that's the kind of defensive line that 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 Clemson just had all leave after last year. And they don't have a bunch of elite guys that have replaced those guys. Now they've got some elites, some young elite guys at defensive end. They're really good at end. And, you know, Xavier Thomas is one of the best ends in the country. And really single-handedly helped keep them from losing that, that uh, UNC game at the, at the end of the game. Uh, he made a, a play on the, on the triple option that Carolina ran for the two-point conversion where not many defensive ends make the play that he did, where he uh, muddied the read, Sam Howell kept the ball, and then he inside out ran Howell down. So he basically did two jobs there and, and just a, a monster athlete. And he's going to eat Florida State's tackles alive every time he's one on one with them. Anytime he's one on one with a uh, with an H back or he's being blocked by an H back and a running back, he's going to get to the quarterback. So you've got to know where that guy is at all times. You have to know. You have to identify. If I'm if I'm uh, Bryles and Clements, I'm telling my offense to identify where number three is every time you come to the line of scrimmage. You need to know where he is because wherever they put him, you need to have you need to make sure that you've got some extra attention in in protection. But you can give extra attention to him this year because they're just not as good at the defensive tackle positions. Last year they had Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. Well, mm, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of NFL teams right now that would be happy to have that pair as their starting defensive tackles. They're really really freaking good. This year, they just don't have those guys. You know, they're, that, Tyler Davis is a true freshman from Apopka who's a good player. He's a four-star type player, but he's not an elite type talent. And I got this question during the, uh, during the, uh, the bye week asking, because I'd made the comment that Clemson's just not as strong inside. They don't have the elite defensive tackles that they've had in the past. And I got, well, they, they have elite defensive tackles, but they're young elite defensive tackles, right? No, no, they don't have a single elite defensive tackle on their roster. There's not one Christian Wilkins or or uh, Dexter Lawrence or Marvin Wilson. I don't even think they really have a, a, a Corey Durden on their roster. There's not one of those guys. And none of their defensive tackles would be would be starting at Florida State. Cooper, Marvin Wilson, uh, Durden, they would all be starting at, at Clemson. Florida State's a lot better at defensive tackle than Clemson is. 
and you know they they're they're looking at true freshman Tyler Davis and and graduate uh you know fifth year senior Niles Pinkney as their starting defensive tackles and they're you know they're they're good they're they're it's not a bad group but they're not the elite kind of guys that you're just pulling out your hair on how are we going to block these guys you you don't you don't have those guys so uh, so what that means if you're Florida State and what I said about about UNC going into that game uh, is UNC has a strong offensive line overall in terms of personnel. They're in their first year in the system and they're young, but they've got some good personnel. Basically, you'd better go ahead and, and try to expose those defensive tackles and find every way possible to run the football on the interior. Get the ball inside, try to use whatever advantages you can get at guard, center, and guard, those interior three, and try to get some try to get some movement against those defensive tackles and make Clemson have to bring some bring some additional run support from the from the secondary, from the from the backers and all of that. And when you when you can get them to do that, then you can start to get some big plays. You can get some shots. And that's really what Florida State's gonna have to do here. And a lot of you, I mean, those of you who've listened to this show for a long time know that I am, I, I am adamant. I am big time. I emphasize all the time about uh, the importance of throwing the football on first down. And if you want, if your offense isn't great and you've got, say, uh, unreliable quarterback, or if you want to protect a young quarterback, you need to throw on first down because that's when defenses have to play honest. They have to actually defend the run. And then, you know, if you, but if you run it all the time on first down, then a lot of times you get stuffed and you wind up having to thro- be behind the chains and then you end up putting your quarterback in bad leverage situations and that's how you end up in, in, you know, with turnovers and all of that. This is one of those games, though, where honestly, I'm, I'm coming in a little bit different. I, I'm not coming into this game saying throw it a bunch on first down as much. I'm saying run the football, run the football, run the football because of what I see at defensive tackle. And then once, if, if, if you can start running the football a little bit, then when they start bringing those backers downhill and when they start getting Tanner Muse, which is what they did against Carolina, they'd line up in a two safety situation and then they'd do a field reduction or boundary reduction situation where they're, uh, they're, they're going to slant one side of the, of the defensive line in. It's a little bit, this is a bad, a bad way of summarizing it. it's, you know, it's, uh, it's podcast, so you know you're not seeing the video here, but you're going to see defensive end slide in, take B gap, uh, and then you're going to see that safety sliding down uh, and and rotating to a single safety type look. They're going to do a lot of that when you start being able to run the football against them, and if you can get them rotating to those single safety looks then you can start to hit those little glance routes. And that, that, that's the sort of thing that Bryles offense really likes. A glance route is like that five-step slant type route where it's like a, between a, a slant and a, and, a, and, a, uh, and a skinny post. And what you do is you RPO that. And when you see that safety starting to roll down, you hit that right behind him. And that's the sort of thing that you want to do against Clemson in this game. You want to run a ton of RPOs on first down. Because what you want is you want to run it and run it and run it and run it and stress those defensive tackles. But as soon as you start seeing them, them coming downhill to, to stop that on first down and getting aggressive there because you're, getting, you're managing to win a little bit on first down, that's when you got to throw it. And that's when you got to throw it right behind that, that safety who's rolling down. You've got to throw the screen on the outside 
to, uh, you know, which you're going to get some one-on-ones because of them, again, having to deal with the box, uh, having to deal with stopping the run in the box. That's where you can start to to create some plays. And I think Florida State can move the football on Clemson as a result. And, and you know, the thing is, Florida State, the one the strength of their offensive line, I mean, their offensive line isn't very good, but where they're better is in run blocking at guard center guard. That's where they're best. When you end up in pass protection with those tackles against Clemson's defensive ends, that's where you're going to get killed. So use that interior defensive line, that interior uh, offensive line to go at Clemson's weakest point on defense, which is their interior defensive line, and see if you can try to use the one place where you might have a good advantage to create some other other uh, advantageous matchups on the outside. Because I do think Florida State's wide receivers can match up perfectly well with Clemson's secondary. I think they're. I think actually in a couple places FSU is going to have some matchup advantages on the outside. If it becomes a one-on-one situation, I'm betting on Terry and Helton and uh, Pokey Wilson in a couple cases over uh, Clemson's Clemson secondary. Now I do think uh, AJ Terrell is a good, is a good corner. He will get a little over aggressive. I think you can, I think you can double move him. Uh, Carolina certainly did. Uh, they did early in the game and they will uh, a lot of times put him in one-on-one in a press bail type thing. Uh, on the on the uh, on the boundary, and that's when they're going to bring Muse down, and and use Muse as that uh, as that additional run support on the boundary. When you get a good boundary look with Terrell against, say, uh, actually the guy. It's interesting. It's not just Terry. The guy that I really think has a chance to beat him deep, to beat Terrell deep, is Pokey Wilson because of his how smooth he is on some of those double moves. But that's what you want to do is you want to get you want to get a, a double move or two on AJ Terrell up the sideline when and you want to time that just right for when they're bringing Muse down to stop the run and that's again you want to some of what Florida State does in in Bryles offense is you want to use those RPOs some of the RPOs are actually those deep shots that you see those are RPOs where it's a run play but. If you get the matchup that you want, if you see the safety starting to roll down, you have the option of taking the boundary vertical. It's a it's a vertical choice route on the outside, and you can take that anytime you want. So that's where, again, I think this matches up pretty well for what Florida State does and for where Clemson's weaknesses are on defense. And unlike last year, they have some weaknesses on defense. And, you know, I was at I was at Clemson this spring, and and you know, I know they uh, also collaborated with the Iowa State defensive staff during the offseason. I mean, Matt Campbell, the Iowa State head coach, spoke at the Clemson Clinic. And anytime you see a coach that's speaking, one coach speaking at another coach's clinic, generally speaking, that means that those staffs are working together, doing doing some uh, some study to help with one another. But I got a chance to chat with with Campbell some uh, at that clinic, which was which was always nice. And um, you know, I think I think Campbell's one of the best head coaching one of the best head coaches in uh, in, in college football. And I also think that that Campbell's defensive coordinator, John Heacock, is one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. I mean, they've done some amazing stuff at Iowa State, uh, and that's that's something that Campbell talked about at the uh, at the clinic. Uh, I talked to him a little bit uh, about that as well, about how he they 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 had to scrap what they'd done before when they got to Iowa State because they'd been able to win at Toledo with the four two five approach, and they had. And he said, you know, we were able to do that there at Toledo because we had. Uh, we, we we ran a lot of traditional you know four three type 
scheme, but out of a four-two-five look, and we were able to basically play a pressure defense the way that we wanted to play because at Toledo, in the MAC conference, we had better or at least equal talent with anybody that we played. And then we got to Iowa State, and we're running we're running the same stuff, and we're getting run out of our own stadium because we we just, we couldn't match up, and so they. Actually, after losing a uh, a game, I think it was against Iowa, if I remember right, uh, early in his second year, and they, you know, basically they had a staff meeting, and Campbell said, "Look, if we don't get this finished. We're we're going to get fired. We're going <laughs> to we're not going to last very long here." So they basically installed, they scrapped their their whole defensive scheme and installed an entirely new defensive scheme, uh, basically a three three stack type scheme with a bunch of hybrid players out there, and they moved some personnel around, uh, and they did this in the bye week. And they went from, and I don't remember the exact records there, but they went from uh, something like three and nine through their first, the first part of his tenure at Iowa State. The next game, they beat Texas. And then, uh, and then from then on, they've basically been, I think they, they went eight and three that year, and they've basically been a, a ranked team ever since. And he credits that to what they did schematically to totally change their defense and and do a lot of things that a lot of teams just haven't done. And so what they did is they loaded up their defense with hybrids. So you're looking at a three three five defense, but you really have one of those three linebackers is a high, a linebacker safety hybrid, and then one of the uh, one of or depending on who you have on the field, it might be a linebacker slash outs it might be an outside linebacker defensive end hybrid but you also have a linebacker safety hybrid out there and then you're kind of playing positionless football similar to what Jay Bateman what I've been studying from Jay Bateman at uh, at UNC as well where basically what you're doing is you're you're willing to to bring pressure from unusual places and guys have to be more interchangeable in terms of coverage and uh, and it's it's confusing to play against for a, a quarterback and for an offensive line. It's especially hard for offensive lines because you don't know who's responsible for what gap. You know that somebody's going to be in that gap, but you don't who you don't know who's going to be where. And that's that's a really really hard thing to play against. And Venables and the, the Clemson staff, knowing that they weren't going to have the the kind of personnel this year up front that they've had. They went and they studied with Heacock to try to get some of the, some tricks to toss in and 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 uh, go to a little bit more of a of a five defensive back hybrid type approach. Uh, go with a little bit more odd front stuff and and do some of the things that Iowa State does. I mean, they haven't gone full Iowa State, uh, full John Heacock on this, but they've incorporated some of that, and that does make it a little bit more complicated in terms of what you're going to be seeing up front in terms of knowing where you're who you have to block at times. But there's still more often than not, doing traditional uh, Venables type stuff. In any case, that that's the one thing that 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 you have to be worried about or, or concerned about if you're if you're Florida State is how they're going to be bringing bringing some guys from different angles to get uh, to create stuffs and and negative plays and get some sacks and that sort of thing. And given Florida State's offensive line and quarterback and all of that. There's going to be some negative plays in this game, but ultimately you have to, if you're Florida State, play to get some shots as well and play to be able to get some opportunities that you're creating off of play action. And be if you can identify exactly what you're going to see after the snap, then you can, you can cause some problems. And that's where some of the RPO stuff and all of that can help you uh, as you 
as you allow one guy to be your read and you, and you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, if he comes down, we're going to throw it behind him, that sort of thing. And I, I think that's, that's one of the keys there, but I think Florida state's going to have some opportunities for some shots downfield. I think that you, they're going to have the opportunity to be able to run the ball reasonably well, or at least run it. Okay. In this game, because of what, uh, what Clemson's got up front or what they don't have compared to last year. Now, there are some guys that will, if, if, if Florida State's not careful, will just wreck them. Isaiah Simmons, Xavier Thomas, Tanner Muse, uh, and also, again, you, you don't want to try A.J. Terrell too much on the outside, you know, in, in the, especially in that intermediate zone. He'll, he'll hurt you. But overall, there's, there's going to be some opportunities as long as, you don't, uh, as long as you don't let some of those terrific athletes they do have some still some some elite level nfl type guys as long as you don't let those guys create some uh some turnovers and some negative plays i think you've got a chance to to move the football and score some points on clemson in this game wouldn't be surprised if florida state was in the mid-20s even the high 20s in this game if if a few things break right so Let's go ahead and move to the offensive side. Before we do that, I want to thank my second sponsor. That is Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville. Louis isn't just a realtor. He's a trained photographer and videographer, which, hey, 90% of home buyers search online first. So you'd better have a successful online marketing plan. Louis is a trained photographer and videographer. I said it before. Well, how are you going to get the best photos and video? You want drone footage of your house? You list it with Louis. If you're looking for a home as well, Lewis is going to outwork everybody in the greater Jacksonville area. If you need to get a house, if you need to sell a house in the greater Jacksonville area, you let Lewis know and let him know that you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. All right, Clemson on offense. <laughs> well, good luck. Uh, they have two elite and developed wide, wide receivers on the outside. One of the best and most explosive running backs in the country, and an actual elf at quarterback. Suffice it to say that Florida State's going to have to play the best defense, best defensive game they've played all year to have any shot to win this game, because Clemson's going to score. They're, they're, that that offense is going to is going to create problems for you matchup wise, and. Unlike on the defensive side, that that offense doesn't really have any weaknesses. They've got some places where they're not as strong as last year, but really they they're 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 that's a quality offense across the board. Now they did not play well at UNC. I, I got to see them kind of at their worst in that game. And in large part, that's because Carolina, I, I think Jay Bateman, Carolina's defensive coordinator, is one of the two or three most innovative defensive coordinators in the country. Uh, one of the, one of the very best defensive coordinators in the game right now. And Carolina exposed them a little bit with some, with some scheme stuff that they just weren't ready for. Uh, I, when I watched it from the, from the booth, I thought Carolina was in a lot of, of palms, which is a two read type thing. Uh, and then, you know, worked my, worked my way, uh, worked my way from that. And I actually talked to, uh, Greg McElroy after that game as well, he, he did the color for it. And we were talking, we were talking after the game in the box and both of us had identified a lot of palms. It was like, yeah, you know, they, they looked like they went with a lot of palms running some, uh, running a bunch of different stunts and different things up, up front on that. 
uh, to get that. And he was, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we saw. <laughs> and then uh, I, I made a comment about that on Twitter. And then I got a, a, a note from someone inside the, uh, the Carolina program saying, you know, we didn't really run palms much. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> so that's what I had identified pre-snap. What, what was going on? So I, like I said, I got uh, a little bit of, um, of a look at what Carolina did defensively. And it was like, oh, <laughs> no wonder, uh, no wonder Trevor Lawrence was, uh, was a beat slow in recognizing, you know, where guys were going to be open and, and diagnosing what he was seeing because, Look, I'm pretty good at being able to diagnose stuff from the from the box. I've got experience as a coach in the box, as being the eye in the sky to know what what we're seeing, and I'm pretty good at that. And I was just I missed so much, <laughs> man. Where that man was there some sophistication that Carolina threw out there against them. It's amazing to see what they're doing in the first year under a new defense and how well they've been able to actually coordinate that. Uh, but there were a lot of split field coverages. I mean, just in the first drive, they were uh, they they showed a two safety shell that looks like that looks like it's going to be palms before the snap, and then suddenly rotate to boundary reduction. So you're in a cover three at that point, bailing on the corners. And I thought maybe those those corners were in a read situation, so they were reading, but they weren't reading; they were bail. And then. Another play, they're in a cover, uh, a cover two on one side and a cover three on the other. And then in another play, they're in cover two on, so a two read on one side, but it's not two read. It looks, it looked like two read at the snap. Oh, it's two trap where the corner's jumping inside to try to potentially cause a problem for the offense there. So they run two trap on one side and quarters on the other. And that is really, really hard stuff to do and to get coordinated and to make sure that you're not putting yourself out of position defensively. And they did that with a lot of stemming up front and with some stunts and bringing pressure from different places. They found ways to get one-on-one rush uh, situations. They would rush five consistently, but they always managed to get their, the right linebacker isolated on the, on the running back. And those linebackers were able to get pressure. ETN is a really good back, but he's not the best pass protector in the world. And they were able to get pressure because they were able to get those backers isolated on, on ETN in, and, and uh, Clemson's running backs. And they were able to get some pressure with five. And then playing all that variation behind it, Lawrence was slow to recognize multiple times because he just he did not see after the snap what he saw before the snap. And you know what? I was right with, I was right with him. And the thing is, getting exposed and having seen that last week and then being able to prep for, or well, I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, having the bye week then to prep and to take a look back at that and work on a lot of that, they're not going to be exposed as easily with a lot of those things now. That, you know, that's where Florida State's kind of got the misfortune of playing, playing. On the one hand, you get to see some of the stuff that worked and you can benefit from that. But on the other hand, they've also been able to see that and have been able to sort of shore up some of those problems. So in some sense, you're probably not going to be as, as, as fortunate in being able to, to confuse Lawrence in some of those cases, because he'll recognize it more quickly now that he's seen it a few times. And secondly, you know, he also had a bit of a, of a busted wing against, against uh, Carolina and missed some throws, I think partly because that shoulder was, was sore. 
and he's had a, more of a chance to to heal up and is unlikely to miss some of the throws that he missed against Carolina. So once you put them in that situation, well, it, it that's a really good offense, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and you know it's it's not going to be easy. That said, I don't think North Carolina has one player that would start at Florida State on defense. Not one. Not one player. So Clemson did struggle against them, against some of those looks and against some of that stuff. And that's despite basically North Carolina being outmanned across the board. Florida State defensively has a lot of players. Yeah, they've got some players that haven't been developed as well, particularly at linebacker where, you know, you could be better, but there's players there to actually match up athletically. And defensive line-wise, Florida State has guys that can give you problems. So, so to me, I'm spending a bunch of time, if I'm the Florida State defensive staff, going through that North Carolina film, and I'm going to be working hard on trying to get it to where I can run a lot of the same sort of stuff that gave Carolina or that gave Clemson trouble. But with my better athletes, I think maybe I can get, get home just a little bit better. So for me, for my money, I'm, uh, and, and I said this going into the, into the Clemson game as well, or going into the UNC, UNC game, Clemson UNC game. The other thing that, that you're able to do, and this is what Carolina's uh, game plan rested on in some sense is because Clemson doesn't have a Hunter Renfro on the inside and they can't put, you know, a, a healthy Amari Rogers and a Hunter Renfro on the field at the same time to give you tons of problems in the slot. They don't really have a guy that terrifies you on the underneath stuff, a guy that, that can be that outlet that can be the safety blanket for the quarterback underneath and on the inside of the field. A lot of their damage they're having to do on the outside, outside the hashes, outside the numbers, which means if you can play some two-shell two stuff, if you can play where you bracket or where you play, you're bailing your, 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 uh, your corners and you're forcing them to throw somewhere other than on those verticals to the outside, I think, it, I think they have a harder time this year. They, they just don't, it's not as easy for them to be able to avoid getting some of the double teams or avoid basically uh, teams being able to play over the top of those receivers and force them to throw underneath and execute underneath. And the other thing is that they're really big across the board. I mean, they've got a bunch of, it looks like they've, they've got a, uh, a clone machine in, in Clemson, South Carolina, that's spitting out six foot four wide receivers, but they don't, like I said, they don't have that, that change up that Hunter Renfro that gives you all the problems and keeps you from being able to focus on those six, four guys. And if for those six, four guys, I mean, I've coached a, a few of those guys. It's harder for those six, four guys sometimes in the slot to, to be the sudden guy, to be, to be something that, that gives some of that underneath coverage more trouble with, with quickness. And so they, they don't have the variety that they've had in the past to give you problems in terms of putting five guys on the field that are big weapons. They've gone really from a team that could put five weapons out there that you had to account for to a team that as long as Rogers is still not hundred percent, they're really, they've gone from five weapons to three. They've got T Higgins, Justin Ross and ETN. And those are the guys that you can't let beat you. 
You got to do what UNC did and say, okay, look, you're going to be, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with somebody other than Higgins. Although Higgins, they moved into the slot at one point for the, uh, for the go ahead touchdown. And that's, that's what beat Carolina. But you're, you're going to have to beat us with somebody other than Higgins, somebody other than Ross and somebody other than ETN. And if, if you beat me with anybody else, I'm tipping my hat and saying, yep, there's a reason you guys are ranked in the top five. And, and really the, the approach here is to focus on stopping the run and say ETN is not going to get loose for big plays. Stem your front to give them some trouble up front, but stop the run, make sure your gap sound, give up no big plays in the running game, force them to execute down the field. Don't give them any big plays. So play over the top of those receivers on the outside and then focus on stopping the run and limiting any big plays in the running game. And ultimately, they got impatient. The coordinators and quarterback, they got impatient against UNC when they couldn't get big plays. Now, I think that's less likely to happen in this one because self-scouting-wise, they're going to have looked at that and go, you know what? We should have just run the football. We should have just kept running the dang ball. And if they can keep doing that against Florida State, if they're able to run the football consistently, this game's over. But what you got to do is you got to come in committing to say, we're going to force the elf to beat us by throwing the ball on on the interior in those seams down the middle of the field. And if he does that to players other than Higgins and Ross, you tip your cap. But we're not going to let ETN beat us in the running game. We're not going to let ETN get big plays over the, you know, in terms of uh, big run and long runs. And we're not going to let Higgins and Ross beat us over the top on the outside. If you do that, you got a chance to, to give them some, some trouble this year. But like I said, I think this one, they're going to be more equipped. They're going to be better equipped to handle some of that and probably more patient in this game than they were against UNC. And I do think that some of what UNC did is really, really hard because of what it does in forcing your, your linebackers to manage or to match well underneath. And it's no coincidence that Bateman is the guy that's teaching those linebackers and safeties to how to, uh, how to, how to match. He's, he's hands-on with that and because that's really where, what the secret is. That's the secret sauce to being able to run that stuff. And not only is he a really, really good coordinator, he's able to, he's able to coach and get his assistants who are helping him there to, uh, to go to do that really, really well. But the most you can intimidate, the more, the more you can imitate that, the better. All right, before I move into the overall look, I want to thank my third sponsor, and that is Garage Makeovers. That is Nathan and that whole group down in South Florida. If you're in South Florida, if you're in Palm Beach, Broward County, call Garage Makeovers for the best garage in the neighborhood. They'll make sure that you are taken care of. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. All right, overall. Well, I do think that this one stays within the spread. Uh, I think 27 is awfully, awfully big. Now, could Clemson win by 27? Yes. Do I think it's likely? No. I think this one's a, a, a reasonably good bet on the underside of that, of that spread. I think Florida State covers, and, stay, and I think this game stays within the spread. But ultimately, I am not betting against the Elf. As long as the Elf is the quarterback at, at Clemson, I think it's going to be hard for anybody to beat them in the ACC. I think once they have to play a 
top level program, you know, like in Alabama or whatever, they'll be able to expose some of these longer term, some of these, uh, these holes that are, are there, but in the ACC, I'm, I'm betting on the elf every time and same in, same in this game. Now, a couple other things. One is in order to have success against, against, uh, against Clemson, UNC slowed that game down big time. I mean, there were 10 drives if I remember right. So, or maybe 11, something like that, or like 11 drives in that game total. So they slow, even though UNC has a mostly up-tempo offense, that's what they want to do long-term. They came into that game and they said, the only chance we really have is to slow this game down as much as possible. So they slowed the game down. And that, you know, unfortunately is not something that Florida State really can do given their system. It depends so much on tempo. So that already makes it a little bit less likely that you can imitate exactly what North Carolina did to very nearly beat, beat Clemson. But I do think Florida State has a lot better better personnel in terms of being able to get some big plays offensively. And I think defensively, the personnel is definitely better. But the big issue is, as I said on the last podcast, Clem, uh, uh, UNC's offensive line has four guys that would start at offensive tackle for Florida State. They've got two guys who would be starting at guard. I think uh, I think Lucas might be might be a starter, might be the one guy that's a starter on the on the offensive line for Florida State at guard or tackle, and even he it's uh it's it's iffy. I think he might be a backup at 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 U at UNC right now, and then at center Florida State's got it got the edge, but very very slightly. I mean it's basically a, a coin toss. So their offensive line is much better than Florida State's, which allowed them to have more success running the football. So. Ultimately, I think that's where this game boils down to is that Florida State does not have the offensive line to be able to expose Clemson as much as what you'd like. They don't have the quarterback to expose Clemson down the field as much as you'd like. And defensively, well, they've not been able to stop the run against teams that can can run it. And I think ultimately that's going to lead to a loss in this game. I do think, you know, the word out of the out of Florida State's uh camp is that they feel like they've got a good plan and will 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 be able to give Clemson all they can handle but ultimately I think uh I think this is a situation where again Clemson has played a team that runs an offense very similar to Florida State's and they destroyed Syracuse they're better prepared to handle some of that stuff after what after working with Campbell and Heacock and you know I think I think this one comes down to yes Syracuse doesn't have acres they don't have Florida State's wide receivers I think Florida State averages around five yards of play in this game. That's better than it might be. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's okay. And I think defensively, Clemson winds up with about six yards of play. Not ideal, <laughs> right? So ultimately, I've got, I've got Clemson with about an 85% chance of winning the game. And, uh, you know, it, that's not, not really good odds. And I think if anything, I'm being a little generous there. But I, I do think that there are enough holes there and enough chances for Florida State to maybe get some big plays. And, uh, you know, you toss a turnover or two in there and you never know. But I think about an 85% chance of winning the game. And I'm going to project the score at around 38 to 20. So I do, I do think Florida State's going to score some points. I do think that ultimately uh, Clemson is going to find some ways to expose some problems on Florida State's defense. But uh, I do think this game will be competitive a, a good bit longer than, than anybody really expects. And, uh, and I think it'll stay within the spread. Well, 
Before I go, I want to thank the patrons above the bleached numbers level. That's Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, and Bert Bertoldi. And as always, I want to thank my three sponsors. That is EPR Creations, Luis Marquez, and Garage Makeovers. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>